I I contemplated doing an intro in a a silly Beatles voice, but then I decided against it. Uh, Hello, welcome to... How Didn't This Get Made? It's a podcast where we talk about films that didn't get made. (laughs) Uh, Some films get made, but these ones didn't, and they're all the more interesting for it. Uh, Hollywood, it's full of films getting made, and only some of them actually make it through the the process. A lot of them don't. It's it's like how when you have sex, there's so much sperm fired at an egg. So much sperm just shot up inside a woman and, you know, occasionally one out of millions of little spermatozoa uh, will will manage to, you know, find its way to the egg and turn into a baby. But think of all the sperm that don't get turned into babies, and that's what we're talking about. We're talking about Hollywood sperm, like films that never got paid. <laughs> uh, I'm Sol, and and believe it or not, I am the sperm that did make it. My name is Connor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, you are joining us for another round of How didn't this get made? So Connor, tell us who we're going to you... be talking about this week, Sol. <laughs> Are you familiar with 1968's Yellow Submarine? I can't even do it. I, I, I'm going to try my best to do... Right, that one's... That's kind of Paul, isn't it? And then Ring, Ringo's a bit more like that. And then George is kind of... They're, they're all distinctly different. I, I don't know which one I'm supposed to be, but I'm going to continue with it anyway. Have you ever heard of The Beatles? I have heard of them, yeah. Pretty good. <laughs> you sound like Jack Black doing an impression of Paul McCartney in Walk Hard. Remember that, Paul? Of course I do, I booked him. I'm the leader of the Beatles. <laughs> I think I just sound like a slow English person. <laughs> I don't think I sound like anything. <laughs> uh, are you familiar with the film Yellow Submarine from 1968? Yeah. Have you seen it? Yeah. What do you think of it? Well, I saw it when I was a kid, like like a kid kid, and uh, it, it didn't really capture me. I just thought it was kind of weird. But other than that, no. But it's something that yeah. I haven't wanted to watch. I get that. I, I watched it when I was kind of getting into film, I suppose. And it didn't it didn't massively connect with me on a personal level either. Um, I think the animation's quite dated now. It's obviously trippy. It's known for being a kind of animated drug trip, but there's not much in the way of coherent story. But it's all right, you know. It's iconic. It, 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 rightfully so. Was it supposed to be a film for kids, or was it supposed to be like an LSD trip, Sol? Um. I think it was meant to be a, a sort of thing for kids and for fans of the Beatles. It was, you know, that. There, there was a Beatles TV cartoon, I believe, and Yellow Submarine was the, the you know, like the Simpsons movie, but with uh, the Beatles 1965 cartoon. So it was a total fucking cash-in then? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if it was officially spun off from that cartoon, but I, I think it was sort of proposed as yeah the the film of the cartoon anyway um, tell us your story story man 
tell us where you're going yeah and in a, in a really kind of old school hollywood kind of way uh the beatles don't even voice themselves in the, the do they not yellow submarine i don't know if you're aware of that i thought it was really them no no they they appear in the film there's like a little live action uh intro and outro where they pop up and go hey welcome to the film everyone it's yellow submarine Wow, great. I can't wait to watch Yellow Submarine. Amazing. Yeah, it's going to be great. And uh, then they start the cartoon bit, and then they're voiced by a bunch of voice actors. Holy crap, I thought it was them the whole way through. Yeah, I mean, you can't really tell it's not them, so it's (laughs) fine. Well, I mean, I'm not going to be surprised if a bunch of people think that actually Paul McCartney helped you with the intro to this podcast, you know, so... Well, he did. Yeah, he did. He did. Uh-huh. The, the, I mean, it is weird, isn't it? Because Ringo, Ringo Starr got really into his voiceover work later on in life, so it's a, it's a shame he didn't dabble in it back here. But anyway, um, Yellow Submarine, why are we talking about it? it, it, it tell us why, storyteller. <laughs> it's the subject of this week's episode because there was a remake of this film put into production uh, back in... In 2009. Oh, that's a good sign it's going to get made now. (laughs) Are you familiar with Robert Zemeckis? Yes, I'm very familiar with uh, the Uncanny Valley Architect of Hell. (laughs) Robert Zemeckis is an incredible film director. Like, let's... Before I start shitting all over some of his work, I I just want to get that out there. You know, Back to the Future is... An impeccably well like staged film like that blocking and staging and and camera movement he is remarkable at. Um, uh, Back to the Future is you know that that is a screenplay you can use as a teaching aid in writing classes. It is so well constructed and and it's just set up and pay off and set up and pay off. It's a phenomenal yeah. film. And, you know, he also made two great sequels, Forrest Gump, uh, Cast Away, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Sorry, did you just call Forrest Gump a sequel? Sequels to Back to the Future. <laughs> I thought you called Forrest Gump a sequel to, to Back to the Future there for a second. But no, he's, he's a great filmmaker, and he's one who's always been very interested in new technology and, and pushing technology forward. Yeah, he does... He does try to push things forward he does yeah and you can see that who framed roger rabbit was as much as it was a kind of fun celebration of cartoony nonsense it was also a an exploration of you know what you can get away with special effects wise bringing these hand-drawn cartoons to life Um, it was a real technical feat that film and and forrest gump you know it played with inserting Tom Hanks into old footage and, and the the CGI effect on that feather when it goes up in the sky. There, there, there are some big technological yeah. moments in that film and What Lies Beneath is known uh, for the famous... Um, there's that particular camera shot, isn't there, where it kind of goes through the floor. It's really impressive and I think made use of CGI. And that's also him stretching himself into the horror genre as well, you know? It's like he's... He's testing himself mm. too there. Yeah, and, and he made uh, Castaway in 2000, which I'm a big fan of. And then he just sort of stopped making live-action movies with, like, real 
actors and stuff. He got obsessed with motion capture technology. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was... I think it was his company. I don't know if he founded it or what, but he was working with a company called Image Movers Digital, and uh, they produced the world's first fully motion capture CGI film, The Polar Express. Now, on one hand, fair enough, uh, a real uh, technological feat, an experiment into what you can achieve with computer animation. On the other hand, a god-awful film <laughs> with dead-eyed, horrible animation. Um and, you know, I, I don't think people really liked the animation back in 2004. I mean, it certainly hasn't aged well, but, you know, I, I remember back then everyone was slating it and saying it looked horrible. Um, the sort of dead eyes, the uncanny valley of it. But I think beyond that, it's not just the creepy faces, it's the movement, it's the motion. It, it Animation shouldn't look so realistic. I mean, it's pure un- uncanny valley. It's you—you you get these incredibly m- lifelike movements down, and suddenly your characters aren't behaving in a way that's pleasing to the eye because animation is supposed to be an artistic representation of reality. Not—it's f- meant to be a painting, not a photograph. Yeah. You know, it—it it, it just doesn't work and and the characters don't have the right weight to them and the way they move it's also puppety it's like watching a little puppet being posed and yeah. it's, it's horrible uh and maybe if the film itself was better we don't you know forgiven the uh shortcomings of the animation but polar express is wank <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean when you're talking about like it's unfortunate that I associate Robert Zemeckis now with Uncanny Valley nightmare stuff instead of all the amazing things that he's done in addition to that, you know? Then that company, I believe, produced Monster House in 2006, which I remember being desperate to go and see in the cinema because it was being presented in 3D, which at the time... That was the big thing. Yeah, it was a really novel thing, the idea that you could go and watch a full-length story, you know, narrative film in the cinema in 3D. I don't think I'd ever seen one before. I think I'd only seen like special IMAX 3D like show reels essentially that yeah. you go to the IMAX and watch a 3D uh I think I watched one of James Cameron's documentaries about diving in the sea for the Titanic in 3D or something. But so anyway, I, I remember being very eager to go and see Monster House and not being that impressed with it. And then subsequently becoming a huge, huge fan of Dan Harmon, who uh, is one of the the writers of the film. Uh, Dan Harmon is like one of my gods. I love the man. He's he's a absolute genius. So he did Monster House as well. He wrote it with uh, Rob Schraub, yeah. Wow. And I I uh, I went back to Monster House recently as a fan of Dan Harmon and it's just not a very good film but I know that Dan Harmon was very unhappy with the way that Spielberg and co kind of took the script out of his hands and fucked about with the ending and all that so I won't hold it against him but I mean it's no community it's no Rick and Morty put it that way (laughs) uh anyway uh, they they made Monster House they made Beowulf in 2007 which uh was not a good film. <laughs> and they made A Christmas Carol in 2009 with Jim Carrey. And 
Um, I think there was perhaps a sense of, look, the technology, as it improves, uh, it'll get better, it'll look better. But it didn't really. It looked kind of shit up until the very end. The Christmas Carol, the Jim Carrey version, looks horrible. And this sort of awkward thing, they make a big thing of getting Jim Carrey to play the three uh, Ghosts of Christmas as well as Scrooge. But then they they render all the characters to look exactly like Jim Carrey in makeup. And it's like, well, what was the point in that? If If everyone's playing characters that just look the same... Why even animate it? Just put him in makeup. It's bullshit. Anyway, uh, I think it was about this point that audience... The way the audience perceived these films was really starting to wane, and people were like, they're shit, and they're horrible to look at, and we don't like them. It was... Uh, do you know the film Mars Needs Mums? Mars Needs Mums? Yeah, I might have accidentally seen parts of it here and there. Oh, really? Yeah, it, it, it's definitely been on it's definitely been shown on the ship at one point but but i never watched it i always preferred to watch something else it was uh one of the biggest box office failures of all time i i I have it here i don't know how credible this is because this is taken from your your (laughs) beloved wikipedia but uh it says it is the worst financial loss for a disney branded (laughs) film and I I do have a list here of the uh, biggest box office bombs of all time. This is not adjusted for inflation, and uh, it's not a huge difference if you do adjust it for inflation, but um, it is currently, at the time of recording, the 13th uh, biggest (laughs) box office bomb in terms of how much money it lost. Uh, care Care to take a stab at any of the other films ahead of it? Bigger, bigger box office bombs. Uh, that one with Johnny Depp. Oh, I think you might be on something there. Uh, yeah, go on. The, is is it the Lone Ranger or something? Yes, that is the the second uh, biggest box office uh-huh. bomb of all time, according to this. It lost somewhere between one hundred and sixty and one hundred ninety uh, million dollars. What well, was that a was that a Disney one or no? Yes, it was. It was a Bruckheimer uh-huh. Disney co-production. And then. Can I have another guess? And that's a, that's an estimate. If if that is the upper end of that, then it is the uh, highest on here. But can I have another guess? Yes, go for it. John Carter. John Carter. Yeah, that is the fifth uh, biggest bomb on here. That's also Disney, right? I think so. Yes, uh, between one hundred and fourteen and two hundred million dollars uh, loss for that one. It looks like Disney to run the time hemorrhaged a bunch of money to these, and then was just like, yeah. "Fuck it, let's make the Lion King and Aladdin again." Yeah. I mean, none, a lot of these aren't that well-known, honestly. And some of them are like, really? It did that badly? Well, I presume they're not known because no one saw them, mm. which is why they lost a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, uh, above Mars Needs Mums, we've got Titan AE, which I, I actually saw that in the cinema, right? I went for a friend's birthday for some reason. I'm pretty sure I saw that as well, yeah. yeah. Jack the Giant Slayer, which is terrible. Um... Wow, how do you know the James L. Brooks rom-com? How did that lose so much money? It can't have cost that much to make, surely. Oh, oh, oh is that the title of it? How did you know? Yeah, it, it was an Owen oh, okay. Wilson, Paul Rudd, Jack Nicholson, uh, Reese Witherspoon romantic comedy. How did it lose that much? <laughs> uh, Cutthroat Island, a 1995 film I've never heard of. Monster Trucks. 
I don't know if you remember that a few years back. Uh, what's uh, the biggest loss of all time? I'm building to it. Terminator Dark Fate is on this list, but obviously uh, that film's still making money, so I wouldn't quite settle on that. Mm-hmm. I can't believe Terminator Dark Fate was that big of a flop, though. That's really sad. It wasn't bad. I really want to see it. I, I didn't hear bad things about it, but it didn't exactly set the world on fire. It wasn't great, but it you know it was better than Terminator 3, put it that way. <laughs> uh, King Arthur Legend of the Sword, Sinbad Legend of the Seven Seas, A Wrinkle in Time, and their number one biggest loss of all time, according to this list, uh, Mortal Engines, which uh, this has down at losing $174.8 million. I have never heard of that. What's Mortal Engines? It was this big attempt at kickstarting a, a young adult franchise about like cities that drive around and eat other cities. Okay, so it's based on a book or something, then, is it? Yeah, yeah, like a series of young adult novels. Now, if you adjust this for inflation, then Mars Needs Mums falls down the list to nineteenth place, uh, and a couple of other films sneak in ahead of it. So, The Fall of the Roman Empire, uh, Disney's Treasure Planet. Supernova, which I've never heard of, Town and Country, which I've never heard of, uh, Heaven's Gate, Stealth. Wow, I didn't know Stealth lost that much money. <laughs> David Bowie did a really fucking cool... Oh no, the, the, was that Stealth or SWAT? Well, David Bowie did a cool theme tune for one of them. <laughs> The Alamo, Final Fantasy, The Spirits Within. I have heard of that one. I haven't actually seen it. Uh, That Final Fantasy one, I've I've got an odd affection for that one. It's bad. I can't defend it in any way, but like, if it's on, I'll watch it, and happily so, but I can't defend it. It is pretty bad. And uh, sixth biggest loss of all time, the only other one that hasn't been mentioned, uh, The Adventures of Pluto Nash, which, to be fair, is absolutely atrocious and deserved to lose every bit of money that was put into it. It was appalling. It's one of the worst films I've ever seen. So, yeah. But yeah, Mars Needs Mums is up there. Like a monumental loss for everyone involved. And pretty much off the back of that box office failure exclusively, I think Disney even said as much. They just said yeah, uh, Yellow Submarine remake uh, that we announced a couple of years ago, not happening. Cancelled. Not doing it. No <laughs> one went to see Mars Needs Mums. No one likes these films. They look horrible. We're not doing it. Oh, so Mars Needs Mums was also motion capture. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was It was made by uh, Image Movers Digital, I believe. The company that made all these films. So they had several attempts at this. They had, they had the Polar Express, Beowulf, Christmas Carol, Mars Needs Mums. Different genres, different approaches, different yeah. director. I mean, Robert yeah. Zemeckis got kicked off. Trying different ways. I think Zemeckis was a producer on Mars Needs Mums. Yeah, and it just didn't work. They proved it doesn't work. (laughs) Yeah, basically. Hey, if you like How Didn't This Get Made, you might like this other show, Diminishing Returns, where I and another guy called Alan Turing take a guest on a weekly trip to development hell, not this show, the actual thing, to discuss a film, then pitch our own ideas for the sequel. And for fans of this show, we've had Connor Murray on at least three times, probably more by the time you hear this. Diminishing Returns is available via all reputable podcast suppliers, 
Just search for it wherever you found this show, or head to dimreturns.com. Uh, and Zemeckis then was like, well, fuck it, and I'll shop it round to other studios. And he, he tried that for about a year. By the end, and I mean like the very end of December 2012, I think it was like the 25th, 26th, 27th of December that this was coming out, he did an interview and he basically sort of said like, yeah, I just can't be bothered anymore. <laughs> and uh, I, I think it probably had something to do with the release of Flight, in 2012, which was, you know, his best reviewed, best received film in... In recent recent-ish times, yeah. Yeah, the best one he'd made, the most well-received one since Castaway in 2000, so in 12 years. Uh, and he probably thought, oh yeah, people like it when I make films with real actors in it. <laughs> and then he just made live-action films afterwards for a while. Although... Uh, Welcome to Marwin that was released in 2018 was something of an attempt at playing around with the same motion capture technology, but it was also his worst received film uh, since the previous motion capture ones, so maybe he's learned his lesson. So, uh, Robert Zemeckis is currently, at the time of recording, he's he's working on The Witches, an adaptation of the Roald Dahl uh, book, The Witches. So I'm I'm looking forward to that, because uh, I loved that book when I was younger. I hope he does it justice. I found it really scary, actually, that book as a kid. Is it also motion capture, or does it seem does it seem like he's given up on that entirely? I think he's given up entirely. Yeah, he he's had a string of successful films that haven't done any of that shit. It it is it is funny because it is something that people just definitely don't want. Yeah, you know, like a motion, yeah. capture, like a full motion capture CGI film like that. Yeah, because right? I think motion capture has its place. It's it's great for special effects CGI in in otherwise live action movies. It's good for video games. Uh, for whatever reason, it seems to work there, but it is not good for animated films. And I I don't know what that is or why, but I mean, what's wrong with just having an animator do it? You know, so. Yeah, Disney announced that they were going to make this film at the Disney and Apple D23 conference in 2009. I don't know if that means anything to you at all. No. Disney do a kind of... They do like a sort of Comic-Con style thing every year now. And it's becoming more of a thing with each passing year for Disney's, you know... I think Marvel released their slate of upcoming films at this year's one, for example. Last year's one, for example. Uh... So the aim was to get it out in time for the 2012 London Olympics. Uh, presumably they were going to do some big Disney, Britain, England push <laughs> internationally and be like, look, look, everyone likes London and England because <laughs> the Olympics is there. You know what else came from that country? The Beatles! Uh, which is odd, odd marketing tie-in, <laughs> but... But that's Fair just enough. American enough for people to think that the Beatles actually came from London, too. They could get away with that. Yeah. I mean, where's Abbey Road, to be fair? Isn't Abbey Road in London? The Beatles are the quintessential London band. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like I say, uh, by 2012, Zemeckis had basically given up. And uh, to quote him, he said, You're always behind the eight ball when you do a remake. I have no idea what that quote means. Do you have any idea? You're always behind the eight ball. That means... Is he, he say, so he's saying it's a hard 
shot in the game of snooker or pool. Is that what he's saying? Oh, I thought he was. T- I thought he was talking about magic eight balls there for a second. Yeah, that's what I thought, and then as I said it to you just then, I realised it must be like a sports analogy with snooker and pool. I think it's just a yeah. hard. Yeah, he must just mean it's a hard shot. Yeah, that must. Yeah, it must be that you know your like your white ball is touching the black ball, so no matter what you do, you're gonna fall. I guess so. He's just acknowledging. He's just acknowledging that it's a thankless task, and I I guess that's probably because, like I say, he just made flight yeah. and everyone liked it, and uh, that made him realise that instead of going against the grain and forcing this horrible animation upon the world, mm-hmm. he could make stuff that everyone yeah. loved. That, that, that's a much better way to finish off his legacy instead of plowing on with that motion capture crap. Yeah, and I, I would love to say like he's learnt the, the error of his ways, but I don't think he has. I, I listened to an interview with him recently on uh, Jonathan Ross's podcast. I just listened to it the other day, and it's from a couple of years ago, but they were talking about the Polar Express, and Jonathan Ross was all like, "Well, I like the film, but it's uh, it's uh, a bit a bit creepy when you look at their faces." And uh, Robert Zemeckis was just sort of like, "Well, yeah, I mean, you know, the technology was young, and and I'm I'm not one of these guys who uh, goes back and redoes their films like uh, like like George Lucas, yeah, like George Lucas." Uh, but I do wonder what if we went back in and re-rendered it and, and did like an HD <laughs> update. And it was like, oh god. So he's still He hasn't learned a thing, has he? He's just he's just going you know, flight worked, the walk was alright, and you know, it's like he's like, Okay, I'll make films that don't do it for now, but as soon as I can like, as soon as I get the chance, he'll do it again. You know, you mentioned Polar Express, and you said there's occasionally you're tempted to go back with the technology you have today and fix those eyes. Are you going to do that? No, I don't think so. I'd be, I, you know, well, maybe I'll you go back. Get, there must I'll be call a young, the head of the studio and see what he says. There must be a, a young Bob Zemeckis out there who's <laughs> desperate to cut his teeth. You say, let's give it to that kid. Yeah, well, I have to get Tom Hanks. You know, he played all four characters yeah. in the movie, even including the boy. So I'd have to get him to agree to do that. I don't know if he would. would oh, Tom's not going to refuse your offer. There. Well, you know, gonna... I mean, you know, it's like it's, you know, you know, there's nothing more difficult than to have to reshoot something. Uh, it's painful for everybody. I remember for the longest while, this is almost well, it's relevant to this show. There were rumors for a long while about. Back to the Future Part 4 being announced. I think the idea was in time for a 2015 release. Uh, but the rumour was that it was going to be motion capture animated with uh, Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd you know, able to reprise their oh, roles yeah. at the correct ages because it's animation. And an anim like I'm I'm completely against Back to the Future Part 4. It, you know, the story's <laughs> told, it's done, don't don't go back and ruin something like that. But an animated Back to the Future, I could maybe get on board with that. It's enough of a sidestep, enough of a spin-off that it'd be kind of separate from the proper films, but you know, there's still a lot of life in that world. Anyone who's played the uh, Back to the Future Telltale game will will be able to attest to it's... Um, yeah, I I could get on board with that. But Maybe don't do hideous motion capture. Maybe do uh, just normal animation. Yeah, just do a normal animation. Don't push forward this technology that 
has potential, but only in certain situations, and that's not it. And I'm not being funny, but... Well, I mean, I am being funny, but Michael J. Fox is not someone you want to motion <laughs> capture right now. <laughs> well, I mean, I was thinking about that, actually, and it's like, you can take it from the angle that you're doing something nice for him that maybe now they could do it so photorealistic that you wouldn't be able to tell that it wasn't Michael J. Fox, you know, that kind of thing with the aging technology and all that kind of that. Like, it could be like a touching tribute to him. I suppose you could, like, you could, in theory, get him to give you a motion capture performance and then just take out all the involuntary shaking. You, know, like, I, you could just do that. I was originally going to say... But then it's not motion capture anymore, no? <laughs> well, it is, but with, you know, an artist coming on board and making tweaks and approving bits, of, which, you know, it's what they do anyway. When, you know, when Andy Serkis gives an incredible performance as Caesar, it isn't beat for beat exactly as he does it. There is an artist there kind of saying, I might just tweak that nostril flare a tiny bit there <laughs> and, and bring that out a bit there. So, yeah. I, I think that we're getting into, like, another sort of, like, metaphysical discussion here of using motion capture to make an animation, but then changing motion capture to actually hide unintended motion. So it's like another layer of animation. Again, this is getting all kind of weirdly yeah. philosophical now. Well, it's it's like uh, it's like rotoscoping, which is, you know, a form of animation where people will film footage of someone and essentially draw over the top of it. And, uh, you know, they, they always embellish what they're working from. Anyway, they this film got as far as casting before it all fell apart. So I've got a little quiz for you here to see if you can guess the four actors who were cast as the Beatles. Alright, hit me. If I read you uh, a list of their credits... Let's see if you can figure out who they are. I think you'll okay. get two of these, and the God. other two, you will not have a clue who the fuck they are. I think two is optimistic even then, to be honest, but okay. Okay, so, I'll start with one you'll get, probably. The Princess Bride. Oh! <laughs> are you talking about the guy with the moustache and the long hair? Uh, no. He's also in Saw. Andre the Giant. Oh! The blonde-haired guy in Saw. Yeah! One of the one of the guys in the bathroom, <laughs> yeah. uh, Carrie Elwes, yeah, Carrie Elwes, yeah, that's it. I don't know the name, but I knew it was him. Carrie Elwes, he was cast as George Harrison. Okay. Uh, all right, next one, best known for Shameless, the the dad, the joggy dad. No, uh, he's in. Uh, I've done a lot of TV, Jamestown, Death in Paradise. Married, single, other. A lot of stuff I've never seen. Basically, a couple of episodes of Being Human. I uh, don't think I've seen any of it either. Yeah, you won't, you won't know him. Um, he is a guy called Dean Lennox... Dean Lennox Kelly. Dean Lennox Kelly. Okay, let me type that in and see who it is. Oh, yeah, he's one of those faces. I have seen him in Shameless. I watched Shameless for a while, but... Very long ago, and not enough for me to ever remember him. God bless him. Well, he was cast as John Lennon. He was supposed to be John Lennon? Yep. Fair enough. God damn it. I, try I tried to do another Beatles voice, but my voice betrayed me again. 
Fair enough. You're not going to get this one. Uh, this guy was in Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Yeah. He was in Hello Ladies. Yeah. Uh, there are shows that I watch. Only a handful of episodes of uh, each, I should add. Uh, he was in something called Great News. He did an episode of Drunk History. Uh, he's in a lot of comedy, TV comedy. Something called Mixology. You're not going to get nope. him. His name is Adam Campbell. Adam Cam. Adam Campbell. Campbell. He was cast as Ringo Starr. <laughs> you should get this one. Uh, this is kind of an odd casting choice, but uh, it kind of makes sense if you're not bothered about star power. Um, which I guess they obviously weren't. <laughs> I, I suppose they were banking on the Beatles selling it. This guy. Uh, he is in Guardians of the Galaxy. It's not Bautista, is it? No. <laughs> uh, no. Uh, he's probably best known to us for Spaced. <gasps> uh, Shaun of the Dead. Oh, oh, oh not uh, Simon Pegg. No. Uh, well, look around you. Ah, oh, Dean Serafinovitz, Peter Serafinovitz. Yes, Peter Serafinovitz. Oh, cool. Yeah, uh, was cast as Paul McCartney. Bizarre. Okay. I I imagine he's quite good at the voice. I I I've certainly seen him do Ringo Starr on the Peter Serafinovitz show, sketch show he used to do. You know, people think that um, being in the Beatles must have been a lot of fun. Well, it was, most of the time. But um, sometimes it was bloody awful, especially towards the end. We would argue and fight, and sometimes the arguments just got bloody ridiculous. I just think we should go to the toilet. That's all I'm saying, yeah. Sounds sensible to me. I am pretty full. You know, why is it we always have to do what you want us to do? Hey, I'm not trying to tell you what to do. You know, we're just human beings. It's a physical fact. I didn't design the human digestive system. You know, we just all need to go to the toilet. Simple as that. I really don't need the toilet. You did have that bloody big lentil curry, George. You're not listening. We don't need to go to the toilet. He would be great at it. The thing is, he would be fantastic at it. Because yeah. I, I love it when Peter Serafinowicz turns up and stuff. I love him. He's, he is great, yeah. For me, he's kind of like the English uh, John Leguizamo. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. But, but when yeah, John Leguizamo turns up in something, for some reason, I'm just so happy. I'm like, wait, yeah, it's too. John Leguizamo. And the same thing as Peter Serafinowicz. Every time he pops up and something, I'm like, fuck yeah, I'm good to see he's doing well, you know? <laughs> And uh, bizarrely, they they cast people to be the musical, like, when they do music, they were going to be the motion capture for them performing the music. (laughs) They cast a tribute act called the Fab Four, who were a California-based Beatles tribute act, who were very well established, for whatever reason who, yeah, have just made a career as, as like, your go-to Beatles when you need someone to be the Beatles. So they would be the ones when the Beatles are performing, and then the other actors would be the ones when they're walking around and taking drugs and stuff. So, for example, I don't know if you ever played the Beatles rock band? No. I, I played rock band at Sean Morrison's student flat a couple of times. <laughs> are you familiar with the Beatles rock band? Nope. Well, it was a a rock band game, but all the songs were the Beatles, 
and it was like this fully licensed collaboration with the Beatles estate and uh, using the old masters. And to do the motion capture for the band in that game, whenever they performed, they got these guys, the Fab Four. Right. Um, and they've done all sorts of other tribute things on on radio shows and TV. They they actually won an Emmy for a TV special called The Fab Four: The Ultimate Tribute, which is baffling, really. That that's. Considered this is so weird. Emmy worthy. Man, but, this is uh, all tying back again to Jean Beauregard's simulacra and simulation, like I talked about earlier. This is some mind-bending shit going on. So there you go. That's that's Yellow Submarine, the the remake that no one asked for, no one wanted, and never happened. I am also glad it didn't get made. Yeah, yeah. I can't say I'm sad about it. If it did get made, though, who would you pick to play the purple meanie or whatever they're called, the villain? What's the purple meanie again? Let me see the purple meanie. I'm gonna give it a quick. Is it purple here. or is it blue meanie? I think it's the blue meanie. Yeah, who would you cast as the blue meanie? The blue meanie. Like, would we also have to motion capture it? Yeah, yeah. All joking aside, I'm going with Nicolas Cage. <laughs> So, uh, would the Blue Mini have an English voice? Does he have an English voice? Do whatever voice the actor wants to do for it, I suppose. Well, in that case, Nicolas Cage is perfect because he would do his best English voice. And he'd really throw himself into it. Mm. Oh! Oh! I, I, I know who it is. I know who it is. I'll tell you the name now. I just can't remember. Neil Patrick Harris. Oh my god! He'd be phenomenal! Yeah. Yeah, he would be such a good Blue Meanie. He would be absolutely perfect. You've nailed it there. That would be amazing. He, he does the singing, he does the dancing, He's he's got the energy and the charm. That'd be amazing. Yeah, it's done. Done. Let's get this <laughs> film made. I've changed my mind. Give Bob a call. It's back on again. Yeah. yeah. Tell him I'm a noted uh, Wikipedia patron and uh, yeah. I, I have the funds. Uh, thanks for listening to us talking about the Beatles, uh, kind of, and Yellow Submarine and, and, and all that stuff. Uh, if you've enjoyed this, listen to our other episodes, shows. Uh, if this ends up being the last episode of this season, which it may well, <laughs> then make sure you're subscribed to the show on whatever thing you're listening to it on, so iTunes or whatever, uh, because then when season two starts up, you'll be told about it. It'll be like, hey, new episode. Otherwise, you might miss it, and that'd be a uh-huh. shame for everyone. And but... pace your listening carefully, because I can't do this again for another seven months. Uh, so, yeah, we hope we hope you enjoyed this run of Hollywood's abscesses. Is that... Um, I mean... No. Uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I, I, I called it dark energy. Yeah. Dark matter. That's what I'm... But that's what I'm... Yeah. Uh, poetically referring to it as do all the shit subscribe rate review listen to the other episodes if you haven't already yeah, check them all out check we, we got loads out. we got episodes of, of, on all different kinds of things Kubrick zombies Spider-Man you name it Fincher bye everyone thanks for your patience bye everyone for now yeah. 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 Yeah.